Hey everybody, this is Brent Watkinson with Everyday Artist. Today I'd like to talk to you a little bit about watercolor painting. I know what you're thinking. How can you do an audio podcast about a very visual thing like watercolor painting? The answer to that question is the fact that there is a lot of information, verbal information, that can be passed along about almost any kind of artistic endeavor. And watercolor painting is indeed one of those such subjects. I know I have many listeners on iTunes. I have listeners on the iPhone podcast app, also the Stitcher podcast app, as well as Buzzsprout. So listeners are spread out all over the place. But as always, please remember, if you go to brentwatkinson.com and click the podcast icon, you can see images related to this and all of the other podcasts that I have. So there will be some images that you can look at and review and peruse at your own pace about this podcast. Let's get into it. When I think about watercolors, two words come to mind right away. The first word is wet, and the second word is timing. And the first word is an opinion, because I like watercolors that look wet. I like any image or any piece of artwork to reflect its medium. I want a watercolor to look like a watercolor. I want an oil painting to look like an oil painting. I want an intaglio print to look like an intaglio print. And that's just my opinion. I know there's watercolor painters out there that do beautiful work that's photorealistic. And that's okay. That's fine. I prefer to work so that things look wet and drippy and flowy and colors morphing into colors. And I like to interpret things in watercolor. I love to use watercolor on vacation because I don't do it professionally. I don't think I've ever done a professional job in watercolor. I don't think I'm qualified. Watercolor to me is fun and exploration and sketchbook and just exploring things and letting go and making sure my drawing underneath is solid so that I can do a solid interpretation of whatever it is that I'm painting. When I do drawings underneath my watercolors, they're usually very sparse, extremely sparse. They're more like a map. It's more like this is the edge of something and this is where the background stops or what have you. So it's very loose. It's very energetic. The Chinese have a word called qi, C-H-I, and it means the energy of the job, the energy of the task. So when I'm doing watercolors, I want to do them quickly. I want to do them spontaneously. And as the great watercolor painter Edgar Whitney said, get in, get out, no fussing around. And I think that's really great advice for watercolor painting. The other word I talked about was timing. Watercolor is about the timing of events, the timing of placing pigment on the paper, adding other pigments to a wash. Is it dry enough? Is it wet enough? When you use the back of your brush to make a furrow, 
Do you make it a dark line or a light line? I'll explain that a little bit later. But right now, let's talk about the materials of watercolor. Let's start with the paint first. Basically, it's just pigment. It's the actual color, and it's suspended in a medium called gum arabic, and it's made from the sap of the acacia tree, and obviously it is water-soluble. If you put gum arabic in ether or alcohol, then you get what is called spirit gum, otherwise known as theater glue, because spirit gum is what theater people, movie people, people in the TV industry, what have you, they use that to glue on prosthetics, facial hair, mustaches, sideburns, whatever. So gum arabic is a very natural, safe product. The next thing I'll talk about a little bit is the paper that you work on or the watercolor board. You can paint watercolor on whatever you want to paint on, but the best thing in the world is watercolor paper because the paints and watercolor paper are manufactured to work well together. Watercolor board is also uh, something that works very well. When I saw my first watercolor demonstration in college, I rushed back to my studio because I had some watercolors, but I didn't have watercolor paper. So I just grabbed a piece of Bristol paper or drawing paper, whatever I had, and I tried to achieve the same results that the instructor had showed us. It did not work. You really need watercolor paper to do beautiful watercolors. I know I can be proved wrong a thousand times over, but I still say, give me my Arches 140-pound cold-press paper. You can get cold-press, hot-press, and rough watercolor paper. You can probably get the same thing in watercolor board. The watercolor board is much more expensive. If you don't like the buckling that you can have oftentimes or most times with the single sheets of paper, either A, you have to learn how to stretch the watercolor paper, which means you soak it first and then staple it or tape it to a board. That way you can have control over tipping the board up and down or having it flat, whatever. And then it dries nice and flat. That's called stretching watercolor paper. If you don't want to do that, you can either use the more expensive, I say almost cost prohibitive, watercolor board, or you can do that happy medium and buy a watercolor block. And a watercolor block is just a big pad of watercolor paper that is glued around the edges, and that really helps it remain flat. And the technical word for the buckling of the paper is called cockles. So if you don't want your paper to cockle, then you can use the watercolor block. And that is a really great, easy way to paint and explore with watercolor. One thing to think about while you're putting down these beautiful washes of color is that typically transparent watercolor, the traditional transparent watercolor, doesn't use any opaque paints. There is a famous pigment called Chinese white, and that is used for highlights sometimes by some people, and the traditionalists would never use Chinese white because they don't want anything opaque on their watercolors. They want them completely transparent. And to paint that way, 
you paint around the highlights, leaving the white of the paper as the highlight. And you paint around the lights with very light washes, and you continually put darker and darker washes on until you get to the full value of whatever pigments that you're using. Now, one danger about using too many washes is once you get more than three, more than four washes at the most, then you start getting a cloudy, muddy look to your watercolors. They're not fresh anymore. There's too much pigment. There's, they're getting muddied and they are starting to deteriorate the internal sizing of the paper. What is sizing? Sizing is basically the glue that holds the paper together. Remember, paper is made out of a zillion, trillion, little, teeny, tiny little fibers. And there's internal sizing, which glues everything together. And then there's the external sizing, which kind of protects the outside of the paper. And once you start painting, and especially if you do soak your watercolor paper to stretch it, that outer sizing is pretty much sloughed off. And you have to be really careful about how much pigment you use and how much you go over the paper because it will start doing what's called fuzzing. And basically the paper is starting to come apart. It's starting to deteriorate. And if you can control it and you understand it, you can use that and get some nice effects. But it's a very dangerous place to be. Again, it goes back to what Edgar Whitney said, and that is get in, get out, no fussing around. And I think that's really good advice for any piece of artwork, but especially transparent watercolors. There are other techniques that you can use besides the traditional transparent watercolor, and that is you can start with a base tone, like a mid-tone, and then you start lifting out. You start taking a damp brush, and after the pigment's dried, then you can start lifting out pigment so that you start going toward lighter values, and then add darker values later. The other word I talked about was timing. To me, watercolor is about the timing of events, of putting additional washes down, putting pigment within pigment, and using the back of your brush to make furrows. And depending on the timing, you can make a dark or a light furrow. And of course, on my website, brentwatkinson.com, in the podcast section of this podcast, I will have some images that you can refer to and clarify these things a little bit. Part of the timing issue with watercolor is knowing when to put more pigment down, when you can add a wash, when you have to stop, when you have to wait, how you find out the water content of the paper, how wet is it, how dry is it. It's all timing. And through practice and some visual aids and some tactile aids, which I will explain to you now, you can figure a lot of that out. If you put down a wash in your sky and you go to a separate section of the painting and you're working on that a little bit and then you think, oh, I'm going to do a little retouch in the sky. I'm going to add another wash here. Well, if the wash, your original wash in the sky is very wet, that will be very easy and receptive to uh, adding more washes. Uh, that second wash will be very happy with that very wet first wash and those colors will intermingle and they'll be beautiful. If it's completely bone dry, your wash will go right over the top of it and you'll have a beautiful veil of color 
of transparency. That's all well and good. If, however, that first wash is just beginning to dry, but it's not completely bone dry, and you add that wet pigment into it, then you will get what's called a bloom. Other people call it a cauliflower because it looks like the texture of a cauliflower plant. So if you can control it and you know what you're doing and you want to use that, those can be very beautiful and very helpful. Most of the time, however, it's the mistake of an amateur or a beginner. And again, there's nothing wrong with blooms if you do them on purpose and you like them and you figure out a way to use them. They're just like anything else. You can break the rules if you know how and to take advantage of them. So I was referring to the temperature of the paper and the water content of the paper. Well, how can you tell all that information? Well, some of it is visual. You can look at it with your eyes, and if it's really shiny and has a sheen to it, then of course it's wet. If it's very matte and you can tilt the board and tilt the paper around and you can't see any reflections, then it's probably bone dry. The dangerous part is in between those two. That's where the blooms happen. So besides visually looking at your paper, you can, what I call, take the temperature of the paper. Okay, you've got three sections on your finger. You have the end where your fingerprint is, you have the middle section, and then you have the section closest to your hand. Well, that middle section, if you bend your finger into a hook and you turn your hand over and you push that middle section of the top of your finger down onto the paper, you can feel the temperature of the paper. If the paper is cold, that means it's pretty wet. If it's colder than you are, it's, it's wet. If it's the same temperature as you are or warmer, then you know the paper is dry. If it's somewhere in between, that's the danger zone. That's, that means the paper is still drying, and that's where the blooms lie. Because if you add pigment at that point, then these two washes aren't going to mix, and one wash is going to push the pigment away from the second wash, and then you get that strange-looking bloom or cauliflower area. So you need to take the temperature of your paper. Now, of course, if it's dripping wet and shiny, you don't need to touch it because you can visually see uh, what it's doing. You can see the water content in the paper. Only when it gets that matte finish and you're thinking like, oh boy, when did I do that wash? Was it long enough ago? What's the temperature in here? What's the humidity? I wonder if I can keep painting on this or if I need to wait. Do I need to hit this with my hairdryer? and make sure it's completely dry before I start, well, you just put that second section of your finger down onto the paper, and you'll figure it out. You don't want to touch the paper with the fingerprint part of your finger because that's very oily, and you don't want oil on your watercolor. The back of your finger that I'm telling you about is much more sensitive to temperature than your fingerprint area because the fingerprint area is designed for tactile qualities. It's designed for touch. Another timing event is the use of furrows in your painting. Most good watercolor brushes, usually they're called, it's kind of a generic term called an aquarelle, 
and it's usually a flat, wide brush. It has a short, you know, seven or eight inch uh, handle on it, and the end of the brush is cut at a chiseled end. It's a strange looking apparatus, but it's made for scraping into watercolor paper. The reason that you would do that is you put down a nice wash of pigment, and if you immediately turn your brush over and scrape with that chiseled end of your brush, you're basically digging a ditch. You're making a furrow, and more pigment will run in down to that depression you made in the paper, that ditch that you carved, and it will become darker than the wash around it. So if you put a wash down, turn your brush around, scrape into your paper, you're gonna make that dark line appear because more pigment runs into that furrow. The opposite of that is if you put down your wash and then you wait and you step back until the appropriate time that only comes with practice and you turn your brush around, you take that chiseled edge, put it on the paper and draw that line, you will actually push the pigment out of the paper. You will push it out of that furrow that you made and that line will be lighter than the wash around it. So it's all about timing. Put a wash down, grab that chiseled into your brush or your fingernail or the back of a comb, anything. It doesn't matter what you use and you start scratching into that pigment, it's going to be darker if you do it immediately. If you put down a wash and you wait for the appropriate time and only practice and visually looking at it and taking the temperature with the back of your finger, then you'll know the right time. You scratch into the paper and you are pushing the pigment away and it remains lighter than the wash around it. Go to the podcast section on brentwatkinson.com and I will have an example for you to look at so it will clarify what I've been talking about. So let's take a minute here and see if we can crystallize all of this information that we've been talking about. Let me give you some basic rules or advice, however you'd like to think about it, about doing successful watercolors and having fun with this because it is a rather difficult medium and it could be frustrating but if you approach it with a playful attitude and an I don't care attitude, which is the way I, which is the way I typically uh, work in watercolors, I think you will have fun with it and enjoy it. Uh, number one, get the best quality paints you can afford. Now that doesn't mean go out and break the bank and spend $20 on a tube of cadmium red. You don't need to do that. Uh, I would avoid the student quality because it's just, it's just not good. Get a medium quality at, at, at least. So get good quality paints. Use good watercolor paper or watercolor board. And I suggest using the watercolor blocks. I love the 140 pound blocks. They're just, they're fantastic. I love them. You can get them many different sizes. I love 11 by 14. That just seems like a good size for me to work. There are smaller ones. There are larger ones. Buy a range of brushes and always, always, always use a brush maybe one and a half times bigger than you think you should be using. Use the biggest brush you can. Explore using dry techniques versus wet 
techniques. Do some really wet, juicy, wet into wet paintings. Do some that are a little bit drier and see, see what you like. Uh, be sure and work from light to dark and try to get to your end point values within three or four washes. Otherwise, we've already talked about what would happen. Uh, the colors are going to get muddy. It's not going to be very transparent looking. You're going to start, quote, fuzzing the paper and it will start to deteriorate and you get into trouble. Uh, think about splattering watercolors for texture or an effect. Let your colors bleed into one another and always undermix your colors. Let's say you're trying to make orange. Okay, take some red, take some yellow, put them on your brush and don't beat it to death on your palette. Just give them a little swirl and then put it on the paper and let those two things give you an optical mix of orange. That's really fun. You can also put down a wash and then tilt your board, tilt that watercolor block, whatever it is you're working with. Uh, layer your colors. Put one color, put a thin veil of yellow, then put a thin veil of red. That's another way to get that nice orange. Try putting a wash down, and then when it's just the right amount of wetness and dryness, again, practice, 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 take your damp brush or your wet paper towel and dab the surface. Pull some of that pigment off. If it's really, really dry, you'll have to really work at it, and you'll say, give me that pigment back. If it's really wet, you can just barely touch it, and it'll come right up. You can also do things like using salt or rice to create textures. Put a wash down and sprinkle salt on it. What kind of salt? Actually, it makes a difference. You can use sea salt. You can use kosher salt. You can use salt like at a, at a diner, restaurant, you know, that you sprinkle on your cheeseburger. So depending on the size of the salt and what type of salt it is, will make a subtle difference in the effect. Uh, basically what happens is the salt crystal gets down onto the paper and it will start absorbing the pigment from around it so you get these little lighter colored halos. Uh, imagine if you did a really dark blue wash for a sky, sprinkled salt on it, then you get these little twinkly stars. Rice will do the same thing except it's a lot softer texture feeling to it. Also, you can put a wash down, and at the appropriate time, remember everything is timing in watercolor, you can uh, spritz alcohol, and that will repel the pigment and repel the water, and you'll get these little droplets in this nice effect. So watercolor, to me, is all about having fun. It's trying to make it look active and responsive and spontaneous. So I hope you try it. I hope you have fun with it. It can be really addictive, and there's lots of great things online that you can look at and uh, read and listen to that will help you. So I hope you have enjoyed this. I hope I've crystallized some of this information down to something you can use and take advantage of. Thanks for listening.